to the book of Isaiah this morning. And Isaiah was one of those called by the Lord. Wrote an extensive book in the Old Testament all about what he had been called about. When God calls, it's serious, right? Amen. What God has to say is serious, right? Amen. Isaiah here in the sixth chapter is given quite a vision. Actually, one of the very few that have seen anything like what he saw, at least that is recorded in the Word. He begins in chapter 6, verse 1, by saying, In the year that King Uzziah died, that's important because it gives us a date. This was written about 586 years before Christ, 586 B.C., uh, it's when Isaiah penned this after witnessing and seeing the time of King Uzziah who reigned over Israel for about 50 years. His death had came. Immediately after his statement of King Uzziah dying, he says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now imagine with me. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Can you imagine? Isaiah said, I saw. What was he seeing? Who is he talking about when he says, I saw the Lord? Why did he see the Lord? What's the significance? I said this is one of only a few instances biblically where such a dynamic vision is given. Given to Isaiah here in his younger time of prophecy and the prophet office that he was getting ready to take up. Would you call this a call of God? I believe so because we're getting ready to see that. But he sees this vision of the Lord himself and he declares that he sees him sitting upon a throne. He doesn't describe the throne, but he says he was sitting upon a throne. Amen. High and lifted up. Mm-hmm. Again, that is significant. Because we serve a high and lifted up God. Amen. 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 Our God is high and lifted up. He is the only true living God. There is no God beside Him. There's no God before Him. There's no God that exists. He is God. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. With His own eyes, he's saying. Who He is seeing here is an incarnate Jesus Christ in His glory. Amen. 
Jesus walked the earth, of course, many years later. Many hundreds of years later after Isaiah recorded this. And Jesus, we know, walked the earth as a man in the flesh. He was still the Son of God. But here, Isaiah's vision, he sees him in his glory. Uh-huh. Before he ever came to earth in the form of a babe in a manger, born of a virgin, who lived to minister and walk among man for the purpose of the salvation of their souls being the only source, the only source of mankind to be saved. There's none other. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And he endured the cross and he gave his blood and he gave his life and he became the sacrifice, the remission of our sins. He became our redeemer. But Isaiah saw him in his glory. In 586 B.C. that his train filled the temple. You know, as much as we try, this is pretty difficult for us to envision. First of all, because we didn't see it. And Isaiah's description is rather brief, I believe for obvious purpose. But the matter of the fact is, he saw the Lord. And he didn't just see the Lord in his glory and his grandeur and on his throne and his train being his garment that filled the temple all around him. By the way, does his garment fill your life, your temple? Amen. Or are you lacking? Is Jesus on the throne in your life? Or is somebody else? Are you? If you're sitting on the throne in your life, you're in the wrong place, folks. The throne of our lives belongs to one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And he saw him in his glory and his magnificence in the temple. And he saw the angels, the seraphims, which are the angelic beings that surrounded his throne, that the ones that are in heaven that are there and they worship they're worshiping him and if you notice the the term they covered with two of their wings they cover their face significant because they themselves even can't stand the glory they cover their face that's also a sign of absolute humbleness which we should be when we come before the lord right right where's the lord at You think the Lord's in this house? Absolutely he is. So what do we do? We come before him in reverence, right? Respect all. Now we don't seem like Isaiah saw him. But when you come before the throne of Jesus Christ, you're going to the same place, whether it was in Isaiah's day or our day. What a awesome in verse 3 it says in speaking of the seraphims and one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried 
and the house was filled with smoke. Uh, sound like a little shaking going on to me. Amen. Jerry Lee ain't got nothing on this, and he wrote a whole lot of shaking going on. I'm saying there's a whole lot more shaking going on right here. Something was moving. Why? The doorpost shook. Doorpost symbolizing the most secure and solid part of anything. The foundation was even shaken. Why? Because of the glory of the Lord. The cries of the angels worshiping him. Seems like a far off heavenly picture about this big. To us. As big as we see it in our Bible maybe. But you see Isaiah didn't see it that way. It appeared before him. Personally. And individually. For him. Why? Revival! <laughs> Shouting! Running now! Having a grand time! Woo! We got a vision of the Lord. We're getting ready to have a celebration. Not what he said. It looks like it. Boy, it looks like this is a kindling for one more Holy Ghost breakdown shindig. I mean, when you see the Lord, right? We're talking God here, right? We're talking Jesus. And you, you get a look and you get to see him. Uh -huh. Amen. Thought, man, Isaiah would have been up on his feet and that he'd been running and dancing by now. That's not what he did. Why? Because what he was about to be given was something that really deserved no shout, no celebration. Verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me. Do you see any celebration in that? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a good time. Pentecostal church, Baptist church, Assembly God church, whatever church. I believe in having a good time when we come in fellowship. It's part of it. And I'm not removing that from the presence of God because heaven itself worships him. But this vision that Jesus gave himself unto Isaiah here has a far different reason than what might readily meet the eye. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's not to make you shout. Woe is me. Why did Isaiah say, woe is me? What did he realize? He realized that within he himself there was something amiss. And here he was 
before a vision of the Holy One, which should make anybody shake and quake. But it seems that as time goes on, the day we're living, the shaking and the quaking's over. Just the mention of Jesus or the mention of the name, it's just a passing moment when it should shake us to the core. That was mentioned this morning. Brother Tanner done a great job. Woe is me, for I am, look what he says, I am undone. You know what he meant by that? I'm destroyed. I'm destroyed. He thought he was. Because he, he, he just said, whoa. That doesn't mean, whoa. It means, whoa. He realized that within himself very strong likelihood that something really big, bad, and terrible was getting ready to happen to him because he realized he was in a state of other than what he should be when he's before the Lord. Amen. Call it dirt, filth, contamination, pollution, or whatever has to do with the soul. We're called to check that pretty regularly, by the way. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It doesn't just mean these clappers here. That's talking about a lifestyle, a, a conversation as the Bible declares it many times. The way, the way we live, the totality of it. But I want, to walk, I want you to see what happens here. Let's read latter part of verse 5 for mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts that should bring us unto absolute conviction as it did Isaiah you might not see him in a vision like Isaiah did but you have the liberty and the freedom to see the lord and to come before his throne and we need to understand what a great privilege that is and just what we have been enabled to do it's called again reverence in this I'm telling you again, reverence and respect to the Lord has been on my plate for some time now, and I'm going to keep preaching it until God gives me relief. Because the church is greatly suffering in that aspect. It's dirtying, contaminating, polluting, because there's no longer proper reverence and respect for God. We know that's true in the society we live in. Amen. But we're not concerned so much about the society as we should be about ourselves and about the church that we attend and about the lives we live. Come on. Our coming before God is a privilege. Amen. It, it is a, an experience every time. His glory is to be awed and appreciated. As Isaiah's figured out. I love the title. He said, my eyes have seen the king. The king. The only king. The high king. The king above all other kings. Earthly kings are nothing, folks. 
I don't care what they might be over. I don't care how much power they've got. I don't care what country. They are far below the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. The King of Kings is in charge of all. Amen. He can move them. He can remove them. At his will. The Lord of hosts. Is Jesus your king? Amen. Is he your Lord? Have you made him so? Do you keep him so? <clears throat> Lord's quick to respond, isn't he? Look here. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Wow. Now hold on. Where's this Lord high and lifted up on the throne at? One of the seraphims, Isaiah says, flew to me. Where'd this seraphim come from? Where'd this angelic being come from? He come from where the Lord was at. He's pretty quick, isn't he? What he says. Having a live coal, does that tell you it might be kind of hot and fervent? Mm -hmm. A live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Never be afraid to be purified, as scary as it may look. Amen. I figured this, look, you got an angel coming to you with a set of tongs and there's a red hot coal and he's headed towards your lips. It's a little bit scary, wouldn't you say? But see, God knows what he's doing. Some of the greatest things that's been accomplished by man under the anointing of God is in dangerous times or when things look like they're going to be hurtful or harmful but God has a way and God has a means and God has a purpose and he had a way and a means and a purpose for Isaiah that's why this has got to happen what's getting ready to happen so this angel flew to him with these tongs with a red hot coal in it And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Do you think we might have some deliverance going on about right now here? Because who's doing the work? Well, the angel's carrying the coal, but God's doing the work. Because God's got Isaiah, he's got something for Isaiah to do here. And the first thing he's doing, if you hadn't noticed yet, is he's making sure he's purified. That's key important. Serious, we'll see how serious he is here in just a minute. Serious work for God requires that who is doing that serious work to be purified. You better have come under the blood. You better have faith in the work of the cross and the one who hung there and know all about him, how he came, why he came, that he did die for us, that he did rise from the tomb, that he did ascend back to glory. And guess what he did when he got there? He took his throne back up. He sat back down in his throne. 
in all of his glory for us a king on a throne set it in glory interceding before God Almighty for us isn't that awesome go back here with Isaiah though here for a minute too far when it's too long when it's too late when is it that it's too late to be too late ask those questions because Isaiah's getting ready to find out why I had this vision and why God's called him. Uh -huh. Amen. And it's not for a revival. Many people believe that the only importance of revival or the only symbolism of revival is just what I said a little bit ago, that there's got to be excitement and celebration and everything <coughs> you can imagine taking place. And that's where revival begins. They're sadly wrong. Revival begins right here. Now those things are part of a revival. But they're not all there is. And I said that for a reason. Many people have got that thoroughly confused. Revival begins by heeding the word of the Lord. That's where it begins. True revival. Then God will take it from there. Now men can do all kinds of designful things. And I'll leave that there. But God knows what he's doing. And he's getting ready to do something here that should shake us. Verse 8 says... Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Catch the us. Who's in heaven besides Jesus? Remember this was Isaiah's day. Holy Spirit hadn't come yet to earth at that time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Who? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now this is Isaiah's response. Then said I, here am I, send me. Had he told Isaiah yet what he was going to send him to do when he said, here am I, send me? I don't see it there. Now he's been purified and that's the symbolism of this hot coal on his lips. His life's been uncontaminated which opens the avenue for God to speak to him and deal with him now. And he's doing so. He asked, who may I send? Be careful when you raise your hand. Be careful when you jump to run. I'll say it again. Know what's going on in your own life before you try to be a tool or instrument of God. 
So he heard God and asking his question and he volunteered. Send me. Two simple words. Send me. Now I imagine Isaiah was still pretty well whammified by the vision he was having. I would have been, would you? Amen. And there's still a conversation. I mean, it's, it's going on right here. This is a heavenly vision. But still he he mustered up the the energy or whatever courage, whatever it took, knowing he was standing before the Holy One who was speaking to him, who had his eyes right up on him, evidently, channeling his words to him. He said, I'll go. I'll do it. He just didn't know what he was going to do yet. Had he known, we're going to see. In verse 9, he said, and he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Go tell this people, this generation, this society that you're living in. And this is what you tell them. Here, now this is Isaiah. Here, indeed, but don't understand what you're hearing. Does that sound like a message? See, indeed, but don't perceive. What's the use? What I say to you, hear it but don't really hear it. Mm -hmm. See it, but don't see it. That's an order. That's order God's given Isaiah to tell the people. Verse 10, he says, make the heart of this people fat. That doesn't mean what you think it does. It means dull, unapproachable. Callous, crusted over. Now what? That's what I'm supposed to go tell this people. What I'm going to tell you, I don't want you to hear it, and I don't want you to see it. You're getting someone. Make their ears heavy. Basically means closed off. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Are you following this? 
It's a little word, Meningo, here that kind of a little difficult to understand. What is God telling Isaiah to do here? We're supposed to be preaching to these people. Revival stuff. He's not preaching revival. That's not what God's telling him. He's telling them, basically tell them, it's too late. It's too late. It's done. You're not going to hear and you're not going to see. You're in a state of mind. You're in a spiritual frame. You're in a state that's unrepairable. Remember, this was 586 B.C. And you're going to tell them that's the state they're in. That's what he's saying. You're going to go tell them how they are. And they're not going to hear you. And they're not going to see you, but you're going to tell them anyway. That's what I want you to do. What's the purpose? If it's too late, what's the purpose? If it's too late for them, what's the purpose? And that's the message here. If it's too late. When's too late? When is too late? It's when God says it's too late. That's when it's too late. Then said I, verse 11, Lord, how long? You know, that doesn't really seem like a message that you'd want to preach a long time because uh, you might face some hostility. Think so? People don't like to be told how they are, especially when they're contrary to God and His Word. And that's exactly the case here. Make it real short and sweet. They had rejected God. How do you reject God? many ways and they had done it for so long and we all know and we should know that God gives a lot of opportunities to straighten up right thank his holy name a lot of opportunities for repentance a lot of opportunities to hear and to see what are we talking about seeing Remember Jesus, I believe, in, I think it's Luke. I think Mark and John, Mark and Matthew recorded too, but he performed the many miracles and they still didn't believe. With their own eyes, they see things happening that's absolutely supernatural that could never be accomplished by anybody other than God himself. And they still didn't believe. That's called rejecting the Lord. This society had rejected God. When is enough enough? When God says it is. This is a sad story. I'm not arguing that point at all. It's not revival again. It's the opposite of it. Because revival allows one to be regenerated. by Jesus Christ, right? But the situation these were in, that Isaiah's now given this commission to go speak to and tell them what God's telling him to deliver to them, it's a whole different thing than revival. So, 
why is God telling him to tell these people that I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to preach to you, I'm going to deliver the word of God to you, but you're not going to hear it, and you're not going to see it, and I'm preaching in case you do see it and do hear it, but you're not going to see it and you're not going to hear it. Isn't that a little confusing? Uh-huh. It's not to God. So he said, how long, Lord? How long do you want me to go tell these people that they're in such a, a terrible spiritual condition that they have rejected you for so long that now they don't have an opportunity or a chance? Because it's too late. It's too late for them. And even though this was several hundred years before Christ and a whole lot of years before now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a whole lot of people in this society it's going to be too late. There's a lot of people in churches that's going to be too late. I'll just stretch on that. When Jesus you know, mentioned, they'll come to me and say, I'm knocking on the door, wanting in. We've done this for you. We've done that for you. What's he say? I never knew. Literally, it could be said, him never knowing you is about the same as you ain't hearing and you ain't seeing, so there's no use in me saying anything else. This is stout scripture, very stout scripture right here. And he answered, verse 11, and God answered, or Jesus answered, the one on the throne answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Well, when's that going to be? it was about 786 B.C. Or I'm sorry, not, not, uh, 586 is when Isaiah speaking here. A couple of hundred years later, Jerusalem, the society, nation as we would call it, the nation of Israel was leveled. Absolutely leveled. Solomon's temple was utterly destroyed. The inhabitants were taken into exile by the Babylonians and kept for like 70 years. You think there's not consequences to rejecting God? I hate to do this. I really do. I don't like doing this. But the truth's the truth, right? <coughs> There are some that believe it's too late for America. And I'm talking high spiritual people. Scriptural people. Connection with God people. Because they say it's now too late. Because 
we've rejected God too long. When I say we, I'm not talking about the genuine believers and church community. I'm talking about the society. Or in the grace age. We don't have to worry about this. Really? This is spoken of. Actually, some of these verses are repeated at least six times in the New Testament. Right out of where I'm preaching right here. Jesus himself. He talked about entering in at the straight gate, right? The rejection of God by a society does not go unchecked in the heavens. It does not go unnoticed. It may take God a while because he's a patient and a loving God, right? The last thing that God ever wants to do is extend his wrath and his judgment upon mankind. But that's exactly Isaiah's message. This is what's getting ready to happen. And it did. It did. The inhabitants were displaced from their homes. Life as they knew it before was no more. They were taken off into a slave camp, if you will, and forced to work for the Babylonians in harsh environment for a long, long time. Now that seems far-fetched to us. And I know I've mentioned this before because we feel so secure in our surroundings. Even in our religiosity. <coughs> Some, if not much of the time, is a false religiosity. I think I'm trying to say you better get hooked up real tight to Jesus Christ, folks. Amen. And you better know you are. That's right. When is it too late? Play around till it's too late. Flee self till it's too late. Live the wild style till it's too late. Commit every abominable sin you possibly can imagine until it's too late. There are consequences. God consequences. Till the cities be wasted without inhabitant, thoroughly leveled as upset, and the houses without man. It's interesting. The houses are the homes without man. And the land be utterly desolate. You ever thought of an utterly desolate land? You know why it's utterly desolate? Because there's no man. There. Nobody to do the work. Nobody to do the farming. Nobody to harvest the food. Nobody to do anything. Because they've probably all been slaughtered by the sword. Mm -hmm. Which again is far-fetched. Could never happen here. Well, if you've been paying attention, there are some people that don't like us that have been loading themselves to the gill. 
Wouldn't take much. Wouldn't take much. When it's too late. Verse 12, and the Lord, he's, he's, he's continuing his response, the Lord is, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Forsaking is a strong, strong word, biblically. It means pretty much forgotten. That scares me. To be forgotten in a desolate land? No God there? Because you rejected Him? And you kept on rejecting Him? And you rejected Him until it was too late? Now look at the situation. It ain't revival time, I assure you. Yeah. There ain't no celebration going on right here. This is about as serious as it gets. When the judgment of God comes down, it doesn't get any more serious. When God's wrath is unrolled, it's worse than bad. Stayed up. Too late. Judgment's being pronounced. It's been put in the messenger's mouth. But God had one more thing to say. It's interesting how it's worded here. Verse 13. But. But. Thank God. Thank God. Now, this still not letting them out of the woods here. This is critical. This verse is critical. You've got to understand it, though. But yet in it shall be a tenth. A tenth. In, in this whole situation, this chaos and all this that's going to happen and desolate land and wiped out cities and people stripped of their homes and men gone from their homes and families wandering in disarray and, and forgotten about and all of this, God says, but yet in it shall be a tenth. And it shall return. And shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now that might sound a little bit confusing. You see a tile tree and an oak tree or two trees that regardless if they're cut down at the ground level, they will sprout back. It's called a stump. It's not a forest, it's just a stump. Where did the forest go? Desolate, right? There's not a forest anymore. Because everything's gone. So what about the stump? Tenth here is literally speaking of a remnant. A remnant that held true 
but they also went through the rest of this. They didn't escape it. They were victims of society, I guess you could say. But God, by His loving grace and mercy, so arranged that those who held true to Him and did not reject Him and loved Him and appreciated Him and worshipped Him and praised Him and all the things that we know we're supposed to do to the Heavenly Father in respect and awe of Him, these are the stumped. Call me a stump all day long if this is me right here. Because this is the ones that make it. Even through all that happens, these are the ones that held true. And God says, even the stump, they're still going to be. And look at the remark, what he said there. He called it a holy seed. A holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Or there's a holy seed. The remnant is the holy seed. There's that element of holiness that cometh from who? Holiness can only come from God. You don't get holiness out of a gumball machine. And that may sound foolish, but I kind of think a lot of people's got weirder analogies than that about where you get holiness from. Because they sure don't act like it and they sure don't look like it. Oh, come on. I'll tell you something. If you're holy, you're going to look holy. Amen. And you're going to act holy. <clears throat> and you're going to be decent. And that's what's happened right here. Things start out in small degrees. That's probably what happened to this society right here. Over a progressive period of time, they started out with little things. And then it progressed to bigger things. And then it got worse. And then it got worse. And then it got worse until it was too late. I'm boggled. Totally boggled. I never thought I would have ever seen in my life the things that are taking place in this nation right now. In America, I'm telling you, you're not exempt. You're not exempt. Amen. God does not honor wickedness. He does not honor evil. He certainly does not honor being rejected. And that's where we're at. And I'll leave it up to you. As I've said, many think that it's past the tipping point. That there's judgment in, in action right now. This is, again, this is some people that studied this word. I mean, this is people that's, I mean, they're pretty, pretty profound in intelligence when it comes to Bible and prophecy and such. And they believe it's happened already and we're beginning to enter into the judgment phase and have been for a while. And it's going to get worse. Prepare to be a stump. Amen. You notice there's no glamour in this? There's no splendor. 
think I would call it a message of doom, impending doom. I'm, I, hey, you may be thinking, and I'll agree with, there's a lot of people that just absolutely don't want to go here. They'll disagree. The biggest issue of these scriptures is that people have gotten to a point they're not going to hear and they're not going to see. It don't matter what you do. Uh, come on. But tell them anyway. That's right. And it's where we're at. No turning around. The truth's the truth, right? Amen. We can try to believe otherwise and put this picture out of our mind, out of our sight, out of our hearing. All is well, all is great, all is fine. It's going to be a great revival getting ready to hit. I didn't see one then. I know we're living in different times. Jerusalem was destroyed the second time in 70 AD. Totally devastated. People were exiled. This time the Romans under Titus. He made sure everything was absolutely leveled and destroyed. Nothing left. Temple, second temple was destroyed. Nothing but cinders and rocks left. You know how long it was before Israel got to be a nation again? 1875 years 1948 but see it's not only Israel of course we're, we're studying Israel here because that was the society of the day God's people we're talking world now we're talking global we're talking America I'll leave you with this. I don't think I have to say it, but this country is in need of much prayer. Much prayer. And if it is passed, if it's too late, we'll see hope in the scripture. We just read it. But it's going to require getting hope. You may not have much left if you got holy seed. You're going to sprout. You stand. I believe that even though this message was to a, a society or a nation, <clears throat> everything starts, and I've said this many times right here, everything starts with the individual. The little old me. Of course, when people change, then it has a effect that others change. And I'm talking changing for the Lord. Well, if it's too late, it's too late to change, right? Maybe so, but it's there's a line here. 
and I don't know where that line, I don't know how broad that line is. I just know there's a line and it's a difference between you're okay on this side, but if you get on that other one, you ain't okay anymore. Come on. Undone. You may be undone this morning. You may have never got on the other side of that line. If you are, you can remedy that this morning. But an individual and personally, we're called to be responsible for ourselves first. And you, you may have heard preaching for years or all of your life, but you still haven't heard it. Come on. You may have saw religion for a long time, but you still haven't saw it. At least in the way that you need to hear it and see it. And that's God's way. The real way, the genuine way. I believe with everything in me that God is trying to line his people back up to the attitude of a holy people. Uh A holy seed. A people that is serious about their relationship with him. That that is where it's at. That's where it's got to stay at. And that's what's going to take me to the eternal place of glory. I've got to get to the place with God that I need to be. And I've got to stay there. Because one of these days... It's going to be too late. You hear this morning, you need my decision. May not be for salvation. You might need to whittle some things out of your life. You might need to change some things. It was said this morning, maybe not in the same way, but it ain't all about having things, folks. It's about having God. Don't get it confused. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, God, that you, first of all, saw fit that we'd even have an opportunity to know you. An opportunity to meet Jesus, your son, who bled and died for us, who certainly deserves all respect and reverence and all and the glory that he is. Help us within ourselves, God, to come to a firm recognition of your holiness and and, and God, your presence, and how glorious and wonderful and awesome that you are and how wonderful and glorious and awesome it is for us just to get to, to know you and be able to come before you. Help us be about that, Lord. Help us to be the stump that sprouts when all else is gone. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remain standing real briefly, I just want you to think about something. Now, there's a day coming. There is a day coming. You will not be able to come to this church. Amen. You probably won't even be permitted to have a Bible. Because they're already stripping them out of schools right now. Because they contain violent content. But let them roll on in society and kill and just to see. See, they don't hear and they don't see. 
There's a day coming when you will not be able to come to a church. You may not even have a home. I've seen it said just this week, they're going to take your homes, they're going to take your vehicles, they're going to take what you got, they're going to tear your families apart, they're going to take your children. Who's they? The agents of hell. Empowered by Satan himself. That may sound extreme, but that's what it is. It's time to make the decision today. What Joshua said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve and do it with everything in you. God bless you, Swan.